What is up guys? This is Chase from Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. Welcome to another wild Wednesday with interesting facts. And today we got a big deep episode for you where we're going to be breaking down the Department of Mysteries and a lot of those chambers in there and also some of the interesting spells uh, that you heard uh, during that big climactic breakdown of what happened last episode. So just to give you guys a quick recap, remember we started off actually in the death chamber where we had uh, the dais, the veil. Uh, we had, of course, Sirius going back and forth with Bellatrix Lestrange. Um, and then what happened was we started off uh, a little bit at the very end of the episode before we have Alvis Dumbledore, my boy, who is coming to save the day at the top of the brain room. All the way up into the point, our boy uh, Alvis did save everyone, and I would say is the real hero of this event, right? Um, so, yeah, a cool thing, right? I kind of got into grading comics. If you guys go on our Instagram, you'll see that. So this week, I, I've i always been like kind of a fan of indie comics, actually, which Ironically, I've learned that the modern age indie comics usually wind up appreciating more and gaining value just because of the error of the era we're in right now. Um, so I got a brand new like Nomen Omen uh, comic, which is pretty cool uh, that I got graded. That was a 9.8 by CGC. You see that on our Instagram. Also on our Instagram, you'll see I, I I'm a big Power Rangers fan, you know. So I got a brand new. Um, it was a first edition, first print, first issue of a Ranger Slayer. So that's actually the issue where Kimberly Hart goes back in time and tries to fight off uh, Tommy from Green with Evil. If you've ever seen the Power Rangers, and he winds up becoming a Draken in this other universe. But I uh, got that and actually got a Rita Repulsa variant one per store edition and that was graded at 9.8 so kind of cool guys just different stuff right you know like we are ridiculous patronus the ridiculous guys that are a brand uh so just throwing some different stuff out there that you'll be able to see on youtube the instagram that sort of thing uh you know kind of short videos and that sort of stuff so you don't get hit all with like these three hour episodes all the time right which this one today won't be too bad for you it just kind of sums up you know order of the phoenix and some of the questions uh that we had by the way going off on a little bit of a tangent of this i heard the people that you know i heard uh that have watched the new Zack snyder edition justice league apparently it's just a bunch of extra deleted scenes clips that they smashed in actually one of jay nelly's friends said they messed it up worse than gohan in dragon ball z once he got to the boo saga so i thought it was pretty funny I don't know what it is. Like, DC has so much going for it, by the way. Like, has so many opportunities they can capitalize on. And for some reason, they cannot seem to make a good Justice League movie. They cannot seem to capitalize and make any good Superman movie, whatever it is. I thought Man of Steel was trash. I love Henry Cavill, don't get me wrong. Diehard Witcher fan. I think he's phenomenal in The Witcher. I just don't understand. Like, I don't understand. I think part of the reason why is Superman doesn't have any good villains. Like, Lex Luthor, okay, you know, a guy with a bald head um, is really going to try to take on a guy that has every power in the world. So that's another problem I have. Like, Superman, like, his only weakness is kryptonite. <laughs> but he almost gets killed by the guy that, you know, is 
got a bald head and has no powers whatsoever um practically in a wheelchair half the time looks similar to professor x i don't know (laughs) maybe that's a problem I, i have no idea just a tangent on that a little bit but yeah, I do think Ben Affleck is actually a really good Batman. I kind of like the way he adapts, kind of like that old school sense. But I feel like the guy that's going to take DC to the next level, if they can do it right, is Robert Patterson. And I don't think he gets enough credit. And I know a lot of people say, you know, he's the Edward Cullen of his time. You know, he's known for Edward Cullen. He's known for Cedric Diggory. Uh, but I really think if you can pull up Batman, he'll be able to save the DC franchise uh, but they're basically going to have to rebuild, I feel like. And um, I'm a big Gal Gadot fan, you know. Uh, a big fan of Wonder Woman 1. Wonder Woman 2 is trash. Like, I don't understand what the problem is. But uh, it seems like they just can't get their storyline together. And you would have thought I would have loved Wonder Woman 2 because Oberon Mattel, <laughs> Martel, my boy, Pedro Pascal is in there. So, I don't know, man. I, I feel like... They just can't really get it in together um, for what they're trying to do. Like, they don't really seem to have an outline in place for where they want to take a franchise. It's more like ideas that are thrown together for one big blockbuster feature film that they're trying to cash drop on. Like, they don't have an outline in place is my problem, I think. Um, So just some thoughts on that. But I'm going to really check out that uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League movie and try to tell you guys what I think on it. Um, I just haven't gotten a chance to really watch any detail. I watched like 10 minutes last night and it is exactly like what everyone's kind of saying. Like you can even see where clips are thrown in and it's almost like not edited all the way. Cause they specifically make sure the clips have like, um, scenes where like the editing frame is still there. So you can tell it's like part of the new movie. Uh, even like when it cuts in, like, you know, it's just like Zack Snyder's Justice League. Like, isn't the whole idea like you're trying to correct on what you did wrong? <laughs> right? Like, and now the whole rumor is that we were talking about, like, apparently Star Wars or Rise of Skywalker is trying to do the same thing, too. So please, like, hopefully, you know, Disney can learn from this lesson and not do that because it just makes you, it's more embarrassing. Like, I think if you can't get it right the first time, I don't have, (laughs) it just proves you don't deserve a second chance. But I do think the guy that is going to bring it back around is our own boy, Cedric Diggory. You know, I'm actually a Twilight fan here. Not afraid to admit it. Edward Cullen, uh, Robert Patterson. He is a great actor, I got to say. I think a lot of people overlook him just because some of the roles he's played in the past. But he's a fantastic actor, and I think he's going to take that role to the next level. So hopefully we see that this summer. They did just announce, actually, Black Widow is coming out on Disney+. Plus. If you have premiere access, you'll still be able to see it in theaters uh, in July, um, but also on Disney+, Plus if you get premiere access, which me, you know, I just, <laughs> I'm the type, like, literally, I just, like, click on it. And I'm like, well, it was too tempting to not say yes. <laughs> so, and then it's sitting on my TV, so I'll have to watch it. But with that, guys, let's go ahead and dive in today because we got a lot of stuff we got to get into, right? Uh, so let's go ahead and start off, right? So this starts off uh, our last episode. Remember, we had just a recap that just a little bit. So we really started off in the death chamber where we had, remember, uh, Dumbledore uh, right before the episode had showed up at the top of the brain room. And so Harry was really kind of taking in the fact of where Sirius and the rest of the order jumped in and they were fighting off the death eaters uh inside the death chamber room where the veil and the dais is um and then remember harry you know he's grieving over Sirius because 
he kind of gets overconfident, gets hit by Bellatrix Lestrange, and gets shoved through the dais, uh, which was a lot different than the film. We'll talk about that on Sunday for you. Um, but yeah, it, it was excellent. And then from that point, uh, you know, he chases Bellatrix Lestrange down, and he has all that conflicts with Voldemort in his head. Um, and that's when our boy, the only one he ever feared, Albus Dumbledore himself, comes in to save the day against Voldemort. Um, the order is on their way, right? And, uh, you know, after this point, that's where you kind of uh, go on. They go back and they have that confrontation in Dumbledore's uh, office. And he was, remember, he was like, I have plenty of other possessions if you would like to throw them against the walls. I have, please, I have too many, right? So, and that's when you have that conflict with Harry and all that stuff. So, basically, the point today is we're going to dive into a lot of interesting facts uh, that are in the ministry. Um, and remember, uh, and it's going to go into a lot of different stuff, even towards the end of Harry's grievance and that sort of stuff. So, let's go ahead and get it started. So, Colaportus. So, that was a spell that they casted a lot uh, when they were actually in the ministry. And remember, Hermione and all of them were running back and forth. Uh, Colaportus, what that is, is it's a... It's a, known as the locking spell. Uh, so Hermione was casting this a lot uh, when opening up doors in the Ministry of Magic and unlocking doors in the, or sorry, locking doors in the Ministry of Magic and unlocking doors in the Ministry of Magic. So she says, call a portis, but it's known as the locking spell. It's made uh, so locks could not open manually, so they couldn't just open it up. Uh, by hand. Um, it's also featured in the standard book of spells grade one, uh, Colaportus, which we'll talk about the author of that book, uh, Miranda Goshawk, which y'all have heard that name before. She's got a big piece in this episode today, which is pretty cool. Um, but it says, uh, Colaportus grasped Hermione, and the door sealed itself with an old screeching noise. And that was on page 70, 788, if you want to look that up. So kind of going through the different rooms, right? Uh, that we talked about in the Ministry of Magic. And we'll go through that big section. But the first one, remember Luna was talking about, they wound up in this room that was like, they saw like the planet Pluto and all this stuff happen. And here's kind of the quote from that. It said, the four of them uh, cho closed, uh, sorry, the four of them chased us into the dark room full of planets. It was a very odd place. Some of the time, we were just floating in the dark, and that was Luna Lovegood. And I'll tell you a lot about this room in a bit. But So it's actually located on the ninth level of the Department of Mysteries, which is where we'll, the whole all the chambers are at. It's reported that they were actually, the reason they were saying, uh, Luna made that little quote there, where she said floating in the dark, is because they actually experiment in this room with anti-gravity. So very similar to, there's also another room called the Space Room that we'll talk about. But the anti-gravity in this room has actually also been previously used in Triwizard tournaments and mazes. So I thought that was pretty interesting there. But it says the four of them uh, closed into the dark room full of planets. It was a very odd place. Some of the time we were just floating in the dark. Uh, and then remember, this is that point where Ron was like giggling feebly, which we'll talk about the spell he actually got hit with uh, later on in this episode. And it says... Harry, we saw Uranus close up. And he said, bet, Harry, uh, we saw Uranus. And he was just laughing, laughing his ass off, basically, because he got hit with this giggling spell that I'll talk to you about later on. But it said, uh, anyway, one of them grabbed Jenny's foot. I used the reductor curse and blew up Pluto in his face. I don't know what they hit with, but he's gone. A bit funny. I could hardly get him 
get along at all. Uh, so it, it it was just showing how in that room, you know, they really study all the planets is what that was for. And they were actually experimenting with anti-gravity spells. Uh, so potentially, um, you know, in the wizarding world, they could basically develop their own location if they ever want to. Or they could, we actually talked about, a, uh, we'll be talking about a spell in Half-Blood Prince um, that they actually mention in the Harry Potter Order of the Phoenix film at one point that's in more of Half-Blood Prince. Uh, that involves a levitation spell. So similar to stuff like that, the Department of Mysteries was actually really experimenting on what they could develop as far as uh, space and uh, time and space. And really the whole uh, ideas of the universe were being uh, being talked about here uh, and studied. So the Reductor Curse. So the Reductor Curse, uh, what it does is it blasts solid objects into pieces. Um, it was rather, it's rather easy to reduce a target to a fine mist or a pole of ashes. So it really <laughs> disintegrates items down to basically nothing, where they're just ash and rubble. Um, it's actually unknown who invented this spell. Harry Potter did teach it at, uh, during Dumbledore's Army, those meetings. So that's where you've heard this before. Um, Miranda Goshark, which we'll talk about her in a bit because she actually wrote the standard book of spells. Uh, but she said, with this powerful curse, skilled wizards can easily reduce obstacles to pieces. For obvious reasons, great care must be exercised when learning and practicing this spell, lest you'll find yourself sweeping up in detention for it is all easy to bring your classroom ceiling crashing down or it will reduce your teacher's desk to a fine mist, ash, or rubble. So I thought that was pretty cool there. Um, used before. So it's been used in a number of different occasions. Uh, but in this section um, in the book, remember it describes here it says, uh, so... Uh, Five different voices behind him bellowed, Reducto! Five arises, uh, flew in five directions, and shelves opposite them exploded as they hit. The towering structure swayed as a hundred glass spheres burst apart. Pearly white figures unfurled into the air and floated there, their voices echoing from who knew what long dead past amid the torrent of crashing glass and splintered wood now raining down upon the floor. This was when they were in the Hall of Prophecy. And uh, it used, they used the Reductor Curse, uh, actually, to also in that room we just talked about uh, in the room with the planets where Ron used the Reductor Curse to blow up Pluto in that guy's face, which Pluto was like supposed to be that space model or if it was actually an image of space or whatever it was in there. He actually blew it up in the Reductor Curse for that guy in the face, and it was also used in the ministry when they started taking the glass spheres off the wall um, or off the uh, shelves over there and hitting them with the de hitting the Death Eaters with it. Um, the known practitioners of this curse uh, was Severus Snape, actually, um, Pavardi Patil, Jenny Weasley, Luna Lovegood, of course, the famous Harry Potter and Hermione Granger and Ron Weasley. And uh, Neville Longbottom. Of course, most of those are because of Dumbledore's army, where Harry Potter taught it to most of them. Um, so the next thing we have on here 
So there is actually a quote here from Luna Lovegood that says, I don't know what they hit him with, said Luna sadly, but he's gone a bit funny. I could hardly get him along at all. Harry, said Ron, pulling Harry's ear down to his mouth and still giggling weak. You know who this girl is, Harry? She's Loony. <laughs> Loony Lovegood. And that was on page 796. So uh, that was, remember, I was telling you about when Ron couldn't stop laughing when Luna was explaining uh, the planet room when they were there. And Ron, you know, wound up shooting that guy in the face with the reductor curse uh, that blew up, well, shot Pluto, and it blew up in that guy's face because he hit it with the reductor curse. Well, uh, and Ron couldn't stop laughing once they got him out of that room. Well, it's because Ron was actually hit with what they call the tickling charm. So the tickling charm, it's a charm that causes the target to buckle with laughter and weakening them instantly. Um, it had one other unknown side effect besides the un controllable giggling and laughing laughing and it's also mentioned in the standard book of spells grade two by miranda goshark uh it's taught in charms class actually at hogwarts during year two and defense against the dark arts during year two it's mostly used as a diversion in tactic duels uh harry potter actually used it on draco malfoy twice uh, once in year two during the dueling club remember we're talking about in chamber of secrets and in september 2020 actually so uh this is stepping a little bit of a ways into the future but i know we've talked about cursed child and that sort of thing this is actually in the calamity events so we've talked about the calamity before where they've gotten objects back that wound up going missing uh during these big events and this actually occurred in 2020 so harry potter actually used it at draco malfoy's house hit Draco Malfoy with the with that tickling spell twice. Um, and actually, it said Draco at his house blocked it, the tickling spell, as he was still sitting in his chair. Um, so I don't know why they got in that altercation, but apparently it did happen at Draco's house, and they are still going back and forth to this day, and uh, probably still don't like each other to this day, despite the fact that they have kids, and life has gone on <laughs> years later, right? That was uh, Antonin Dolohov that actually used that curse. Uh, known users are Draco Malfoy and Antonin uh, Dolohov. And it's similar to the Dancing Feet spell, which I'll tell you about that spell in just a minute. But it says, Tarantelegra, he shouted. His wand was pointing at Neville, whose legs went immediately into a kind of frenzied tap dance. It unbalanced him, causing him to fall to the floor again. And that's on page 802. It describes that. So the Dancing Feet spell. So its origins, actually. So this is the one it's related to um, that is a derivative of this spell. So uh, I would say Tarantelegra is really a more advanced version of the spell, but it derives from the Dancing Feet spell, which was, according to Harry Potter folklore, comes from Italy, and you're going to see why in just a minute. So it says, the Dancing Feet spell has its origins in Italy, but it's best remembered for its improper use by Warlock, Zakira, in a sense, uh, who is credited with the conjuring a dance within Mount Vesuvius in 79 AD. And this is in Cast a Spell Handbook. So, and I'll tell you about what happened in just a minute here. So the known practitioners that have used actually the dancing feet spell 
are Zachariah Innocenti, uh, Draco Malfoy, Albus Dumbledore, Antonin Dolohov, and Harry Potter. So Zachariah Innocenti, he actually lived uh, in was he lived in seventy nine, so seventy nine, literally A D. Uh, he was an ancient Roman warlock who lived during the first century. Uh, he misused the dancing feet spell in 79 AD in Mount Vesuvius, and it resulted in the eruption, which destroyed the Roman city of Pompeii and Herculaneum, uh, killing at least 150. Uh, sorry, killing at least 1,500 people. His improper usage of the spell is what he and the spell is most remembered for. <laughs> it's unknown whether or not he was. Uh, he was the sole cause of the eruption, but they do know he was the reason to blame for most of the casualties. Um, he did conjure the spell inside the volcano, which caused him to dance up and down, uh, which is said to be this day what actually caused it to erupt and kill everyone and in the city of Pompeii and turn them to ash. Uh, so the magical abilities of him was he was known for charms, and um, Mount Vesuvius, of course, is a volcano in Naples, Italy in 79 AD. Zachariah casted the Dancing Feet spell in the volcano, causing it to erupt. Herculaneum is an ancient town in modern-day uh, commune, or Ercolano, uh, Campania, Italy. And uh, the city was part of Pompeii that actually was destroyed under entire volcanic ash and, uh, and pumice in... Um, eruption of the Mount Vesuvius in 79 AD. Finite. So this is another spell that occurred uh, during the whole uh, Ministry of Magic uh, Department of Mysteries battle. Um, finite. So it says Neville's legs went back into the floor and remained, spill, and remained still. Lupin's face was pale. Let's, let's find the others. And that's on page 808. Finite, a.k.a. Finite Incantatum. It's a counterspell for general use. So just basic uh, really basic counters for basic spells. Um, it's used in basic duels to cure minor jinxes, hexes, and curses. It can also be used to stop the effects of enchantments. Enchantments. It's taught at level 2 and 3rd years in Hogwarts. As far as uh, Charms class, it's also taught in Charms class in level 2 and level 3. The spell was actually covered in the Standard Book of Spells Grade 2 by Miranda Goshark. Um, it is more straightforward um it's a more straightforward way of stopping basic jinxes curses and hexes it doesn't work on jinxes curses and hexes that require specific counter curses such as like the jelly legs curse that we mentioned before it's actually known uh for that's actually known for stopping simple dark charms um moderate and advanced dark charms the spell finite would be ineffective because it's just basic um basic incantations that it can stop it can't stop anything that requires a specific counter curse to stop it so layman's terms here's an example that's kind of off the wall wall for instance like i know a lot of people that listen to our show are pokemon fans right so for instance a water pokemon you would want to beat with an electric pokemon like raichu right so that would be an example of a counter specific curse for instance right if you could take something like a Monchoke that's just like a fighting Pokemon and beat 
I Squirtle with that. That is a water Pokemon. Well, that's just a basic fight maneuver. So that would mean that it's just like finite. Like it could just take it down. But something that requires a specific counter curse to beat it, finite won't work against. For instance, just like that, or if you required Squirtle to beat Charmander because water beats fire. So <laughs> specific cantations uh, don't work. It just works for basic spells. But it's actually taught by Flitwick in the second and third year charms, I was saying. Uh, so, and now we're going to get into our big section of today's episode. So, known rooms in the Department of Mysteries. And we're going to break this down. So, the Department of Mysteries is actually found on level 9 of the Ministry of Magic. And it predates 1673. It has no windows or doors. There is actually a small flight of stairs that winds up leading to level 10 that a lot of people don't know about which level 10 is that big courtroom remember where harry was during the hearing uh during the beginning of the order of the phoenix light is only provided by torches which we've spoke about before which omit a blue white light there is 12 handless doors when these doors close the walls rotate this was to make it impossible to determine what door was which the chambers respond to verbal requests and open upon only requests unless opened the correct door with a will to open that door um, so the verbal request for an exit could actually be conjured um, if anyone opened the correct door and asked for an exit so that gets kind of really confusing right basically the whole idea was it would keep people out by the doors would continuously rotate like almost like if you saw the Sorcerer's Stone film beware of the staircases they like to change is what Percy said that's basically what the doors would do they would continuously change and but you could access an exit if you were a member of working in the Department of Mysteries uh, and you were supposed to be there by if you asked for an exit and you asked for that door so that's the only way to do it unless you just grab a door like Harry and Dumbledore's army, the rest of the group were doing, and that's why they wound up in random rooms the entire time. Uh, the Department uh, of Department of Mysteries, it worked to uncover secrets of death, time, space, thought, and love. And that's why they had the different chambers. So rooms in the Department of Mysteries. So we have the brain room. Remember, this is the same room that Ron got attacked by that brain, by the tentacles, and it latched onto him. Uh, so it's a long rectangular room with low-hanging lamps. It contained a tank of encephala, which is also known as brains. The brains swam in green solution, and these brains were more and more aggressive as they became closer and closer to something and would attack. Uh, almost like a jellyfish, right? They don't have thought, but as soon as they get closest to it, they know just to attack whatever's there because it's in their way. And they think it's a threat, so that's aggressive to them. Um, once an object came close to it, automatically brains, what they would do is they attack and constrict whatever's next to them or in contact with them, which is what happened to Ron. The brains were thought to be actual physical manifestations of one's thoughts. So that's interesting. So think about almost like the Pensieve. Remember, as I'm sure you all have seen in like the Half-Blood Prince film where Dumbledore takes, you know, the memory out of his mind and dumps it in the Pensieve, or we've talked about that before. 
think of this. This is like actually taking out, this is an actual form, like molded of someone's brain or a similar thought to be of what it looked like or what it is. It's a bewitched brain and it's been put into uh, this green solution uh, so it can stay alive. So you're basically, the whole idea is it's an actual person's brain that's in there that's living alive with memories of that person. So it's almost like it is that person, but it's really not. It's just their thoughts that are in there that never moved on, which is a very interesting concept. Um, and then the concept of thought is what was studied in this room. Second, so the Hall of Prophecies, we talked about that. Uh, so once again, the prophecies in this hall were stored in long, cold chambers. They had high ceilings and tower shelves that were lit with only blue flame candles. The prophecies were magically protected by the glass orbs so that only the people that could lift them were the keeper of the hall and the prophecy the subject was individual to. So what that means is only the keeper could open the glass orb or the person that the prophecy is about or someone that is mentioned in that prophecy can actually act, access that prophecy or hold it and touch it. Otherwise, anyone else that attempts to inspect those orbs, those glass orbs, with their hands would automatically be inflicted with instant madness, which is exactly what happened with Bodrick Bode when the Death Eaters tried to get him to access Harry's prophecy and he couldn't touch it. The Death Chamber. So uh, that's a courtroom 10 of the Winsing Gamut. It's dimly lit and had stone tears leading down into a pit in the center. In the pit, there was a dais upon which stood an ancient stone archway tattered with a black curtain hanging from it. This arch incorporated the veil which actually separated the worlds of the living and the dead. It is said if you have experienced death of a close one and you've actually understood the meaning of that death and it has affected you then that person that fully comprehends death would be able to hear the voices from the other side um, the veil so the veil that's actually there the black tattered veil unspeakables were actually known to study this it is known as the barrier between the dead and the land of the living it is supposed to be a one-way trip uh, no one has been known to travel freely between two worlds, and it is thought that when one passes directly through it, it does bring about instant death. Um, so that's the answer there for you regarding Sirius. The Love Room. Uh, Josh talked about this a little bit in his interesting facts. Um, so we won't go into this too much, but it is really cool. The Love Room is behind that door that remained locked at all times they couldn't open. Remember, they tried to use Sirius's knife. Uh, they even tried to use a Lohomora uh, to open it, and it wouldn't work. So it says, The room was not able to be opened by a Lohomora or any magical unlocking pin knives. Behind this room, the department studied was what Albus Dumbledore called the most powerful force in the universe. So what was studied here for you in this room was self-sacrificing love. So it was all about love, like relationship love, but really specifically what protected who kind of love and what could cause spells to rebound was the whole idea here. 
um, spells, for instance, like what Harry's mom did is the first one that comes to mind. Uh, it was actually for a long time studied on how it actually repelled the killing curse. There is said to be a large fountain in this room of Immortentia, which we talk about in Half-Blood Prince. So stay, um, stay tuned for that. That'll be in the next, uh, in a couple weeks from now. Um, and it was, which it's a big potion we talk about in Half-Blood Prince. So stay tuned for that. Uh, the space chamber, which was the next room. So it was that dark room full of planets that we talked about, um, where they actually studied anti-gravity to make people float in midair. It is thought that uh, visitors could find themselves floating as they entered the room here uh, because they were actually testing whether or not to develop their own space in any parts of the actual planet the Wizarding Realm was on. The next room, the time room. Remember, this was cool. This is where you saw that uh, hummingbird in the chamber that kept living and dying. Um, also, this is where they had that battle a couple weeks ago where that Death Eater's like head turned into a baby and all that. So the time room, it's a long, beautiful rectangular room filmed with beautiful dancing light that sparkled like gems. All kinds of time-related devices were completely filled in this chamber, such as clocks of every description, time turners. Also, uh, they had the crystal bell jar, a jar that was here that I was talking about, that the hummingbird was in it. So the crystal bell jar, it emitted a sparkling light inside the jar. Anything could grow increasingly younger to its pre-life state. It would be reborn and then it would grow older again and it would get old and then re, uh, redo the cycle. So the cycle would be endless and would continuously uh, reoccur in this room where the study of time was, supposedly they were trying to develop the study of time, but then as we'll talk about here in just a second, they ran into some issues. So at the end of the room, there's a door that leads to the Hall of Prophecies. In the Hall of Prophecies, there are office, uh, offices off to the main chamber. During the Department of Mysteries, the entire stock of time turners was actually smashed. The ability to magically manipulate time through these time turners uh, was actually studied in each of these offices. Um, and so this is where they started getting into some issues here. So um, a little bit about the early history of the ministry, and we'll tell you what happened as far as why they had some mystery issues with time turners, which we talked about a little bit on our interesting facts before on Prisoner of Azkaban, which that's one of our most famous episodes, of course. Uh, so I'm sure you might have heard a little bit of this, but this really gets more detailed into it. So early history of the Ministry of Magic of Britain, uh, so the British Ministry of Magic. It was established in the 17th century. It predated, um, predated most ministries of magics. Uh, the Ministry of Magic was established in 1702, ex exactly, but the Department of Mysteries was actually an activity that was practiced by the ministry in 1672, and that was a thought, and there were these groups that constantly practiced these ideas before it was actually established as a ministry. Uh, this became known as the Department of Mysteries later, um, after the ministry was established. The ministry minister Offaline Gamble. So he uh, worked in the ministry from 1827 to 1835. So really early on, 
He's known for establishing committees that investigated muggle brain power. Uh, this became a prominent study of brain power, and it was due to the emergence of the British Empire. The study of thought, he is the first one to officially study the study of thought, which is how the brain room became, uh, became about. In 1835 to 1841, Minister Randolphus Lestrange took a reactionary position and attempted to close down the Department of Mysteries, he was actually ignored by all the unspeakables and the ministry itself. Which we know who Randolphus Lestrange is. We've talked about him before. In 1890, the department was actually known to conduct time travel experiments until they were discontinued in 1899 when unspeakable Eloise Mintumble traveled back in time to the year 1402. And there was a big breach in ministry laws at that time and caused ca catastrophic results. Madame Mintumble was stuck in the 15th century for five days. When she retrieved to the, pet, uh, to the present, her body had aged five centuries. She was later succumbed in St. Mungo's Hospital for Magical Maladies and Injuries. Also, there was at least 25 people that called the descendants of her people, of Mintumble, that she had actually met in the past. Um, and then these people that she met in the past wound up vanishing into thin air. And it was actually recorded in documented history that one minute they were in history books and the next minute they just weren't. And these people that had actually met these other people had a problem with it because they knew where it came from, from where she was going to the past and brought to the present, because now these people didn't exist. So, to read you that sentence one more time, it says, Mintumble had met them in the past, but then they vanished into thin air, effectively becoming unborn. Finally, the Tuesday that followed, the deal lasted two and a half full days, while the following Thursday lasted only four hours so now you have an issue in the present that even the days aren't lining up and no one can even tell how long time is even if they're in time or maybe in their uh, another timeline so it's caused a whole load of problems here um, and this was they start going into the main chambers when they were studying time again and they couldn't tell how long the days were when they were studying time so then they had that other problem there. So they couldn't even tell what time it was in the chambers and when they were actually uh, going back and forth between the present and the past. So everything was almost seeming like a blur. Known employees were Lavina Monk Stanley in 1772. Bodrick Bode is deceased. Um, Saul Croker, Augustus Rockwood, you know, he's a Death Eater spy. Uh, Eloise Mintumble. These are the main employees of the Department of Mysteries. So let's go into the Ministry of Magic Floors recap real quick. So you can see all about the whole building there because it is a big building. But the Ministry of Magic Floors. So level one, we have the Ministry of Magic support staff. On the support staff, that includes the Office of Minister of Magic, so the big head honcho there, the Office to the Advisor of the Minister of Magic, then you have the offer office of the senior under uh, sorry office of the senior sec uh, office of the senior under secretary to the minister of magic 
and the office of the senior assistant to the minister of magic. Level two, the Aurora office, uh, that's where you have the Department of Intoxicating Substances, the Improper Use of Magic office, the Misuse of Muggle Artifacts office, the Office of Detection and Confiscation of Counterfeit Defensive Spells and Protective Objects, the Wizen Gamut Administration Services, um, and then Level 3. So on Level 3, you have the Department of Magical Accidents and Catastrophes, this includes the Accidental Magical Reversal Squad, the Invisibility Task Force, the Muggle Liaison Office, the Muggle-Worthy Excuse Committee, the Obliviator Headquarters. On level four, so you have the Department of Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures. This includes the Beast Division, the Being Division, the Centaur Liaison Office, the Goblin Liaison Office, the Office for House Elves, Office for Misinformation, the Pest Advisory Board, and the Spirit Division. So basically this whole office section here, a lot of what they do is they actually try to fight for beasts and beings, deciding what is human and what should be classified as a person and what is deserving of rights is basically what that is which we've talked about a little bit before on our interesting facts here um, level five so that's the department of international magical cooperation the international confederation of wizards is located here so the british seats the international magical office of law the international magical trading standards body is located here Level six is the Department of Magical Transportation. So that includes the Apparition Test Center, so where people can go get their Apparition Test. Um, they have the Bloom Regulatory Control, the Flu Network Authority, and the Port Key Office is located here on level six, the Department of Magical Transportation. Level seven, so this is the Department of Magical Games and Sports. We talked about that before on actually our Sorcerer's Stones interesting facts with Quidditch, right? This includes the British and Irish Quidditch League headquarters, the official Gobstones Club, and the Ludicrous Patents Office. Level 8 is the atrium. So the atrium does include a lobby and reception area, which is nice. That's the main level you actually see in a lot of the films, where it actually contains the Fountain of Magical Brethren. So this is the main area, remember, where Albus fought Voldemort. Um, Magic is Might Monument is located here. The Ministry Munchies is located here. The Security Desk. Uh, the lifts, all the lifts where you can take them to the other floors. Uh, and the Magical Maintenance Office is located here. Level 9, here we are. So the Department of Mysteries. So once again, guys, this includes the Hall of Prophecy, the Death Chamber, the Brain Room, the Time Chamber, the Space Chamber, and the Love Chamber. Level 10 so the last level, uh, this is the Wizen Gamut courtrooms. So only one known courtroom that we've been in, of course, and uh, that is courtroom 10, which is where Harry had his he hearing, of course. And, of course, we know who also was in that courtroom uh, was also where Bellatrix Lestrange and you had Bartimus Crouch Jr. and uh, Rockwood, all of them. Um, so, and you had Kakarov confessing. So all of them, you know, were sentenced in that courtroom there. 
employees continued for you. So more about the employees of the Ministry of Magic. That really made a difference here. So Lavina Monk Stanley. She worked in 1772 and worked as an unspeakable in the British Ministry of Magic. Uh, Lavina developed the wand lighting lighting charm and this one's going to be really recognizable for you so she is actually the one that developed the wand charm lumos so you know you've heard you've heard harry go lumos and light up his wand and he can see everything right um and she also invented the extinguishing charm nox so if you've heard nox you know it just extinguishes everything but she developed the lumos spell when a mispleased misplaced Quill uh, she dropped under her desk she found in a dusty corner after deciding to develop the Lumo spell because she couldn't see anything. The quill was discovered in the back of a dusty corner when the Lumos incantation lit about her wand. Uh, magical abilities, she was known for charms. Another employee we talked about was Bodrick Bode. He's deceased. We know all about him. Uh, Saul Croker. So he worked at the ministry in 1994 and was an unspeakable that studied time travel. Uh, he worked in the Department of Mysteries. He spent his entire life actually studying magic. He actually has some things to say about time turners that I'll t- tell you about in just a minute. Um, but Professor Croker's Law is actually what he developed. So Professor Croker's Law was named after him. He uh, passed by the Weasley's campsite, actually, is how you might recognize him, in 1994 when the Triwizard Tournament occurred. Um, he actually visited the Quidditch World Cup with Bodrick Bode, is who he was accompanied, accompanied with when he ran into Arthur. It says, uh, here's a little quote here. It says, just as the human mind cannot comprehend time, so it, can co- so it cannot comprehend the damage that will ensure if we presume that tamper with its laws. Now, as Professor Saul Croker, Professor Croker's laws stated... Five hours was the longest someone could travel back in time without the possibility of serious harm to the traveler of time itself. This law was named after Professor Croker, lifelong unspeakable in the Department of Mysteries at the British Ministry of Magic. It's also mentioned in Pottermore, Wizarding World, and Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Uh, and remember, they've actually mentioned this in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban when you couldn't go back furthermore uh, than three hours because it was against the law. Well, that's all because of Professor Croker that established that rule because of what actually happened to Alois that we talked about earlier, where she got she her body aged so fast and all those people wind up basically disapparating in front of her that she's actually knew that other people wound up knowing. And it put everything in where no one could tell what time was, basically, because days were going way too fast and days were going way too slow. And it took such a big toll on her body. Augustus Rockwood, of course, was there. We know he was a spy. Um, Know him already. There is actually an unidentified intern that's never been identified who it was, but he disappeared in the department before 1995. It was never discovered. Uh, The Keeper of the Hall prophecy. No one knows his name still to this day. Uh, Still unknown. And then we spoke about Eloise Mintumble. So Eloise died in 1899 at St. Mungo's Hospital. She was the unspeakable in the Department of Mysteries who died as a result of an experiment in time travel back in time for more than a few hours. She was trapped for a period of five days in the year 1402. When she was finally retrieved to the present, her body had aged five centuries. 
and it had irreparable damage that occurred to her body. She died in St. Mungo's Hospital for magical maladies and injuries. Her excursion to the past provoked a great disturbance to the life paths of all the, those she met, changing the present so dramatically that no fewer than 25 of their descendants vanished in the present of having been unborn. Moreover, there were a few more alarming signs other than that that time itself had been disturbed. For instance, Tuesday following her reappearance lasted two and a half days, whereas that Thursday, we mentioned, shot by in just a few hours. Uh, so time was going too slow and way too fast on different days. And here's a quote. All attempts to travel back further than a few hours have resulted in catastrophic harm to the witch or wizard involved. It was not realized for many years why time travelers over great distances never survived their journeys. All such experiments have been attended, have been abandoned since 1899 when Eloise Mintumble became trapped for a period of five days in the year 1402. Now, we understand that her body had aged five centuries in its return to the present and irreparably damaged. She died in St. Mungo's Hospital and for magical maladies and injuries shortly after when we managed to retrieve her. What is more, her five days in the distant past caused great disturbance to the life paths of all those she met, changing the course of their lives so dramatically that no fewer than 25 of their descendants vanished in the presence, having been unborn. And that was Professor Saul Croker that quoted that. So, now you see why you can't go back in the past more than three hours. But uh, now, here we are. So, Miranda Goshart. Remember, she wrote the standard book of spells. That's how you keep hearing about her. Now that we've been talking about all these charms that they did at the Department of Ministries battle. Um, and you've heard about her really through all, all the years because she wrote the standard book of spells, volumes one through seven. So, you've heard about her this entire time. But she has a really big rec reputation at Hogwarts. She also built... Um, invented the bat bogey's hex as well that Jenny used um, on the Death Eaters when they were being held by Umbridge. Miranda Goshart, so she was actually born in 1921. She was British and Irish descent. She was a famous witch who was a celebrated author. She specialized in writing charms and spell books. She is the author of the standard book of spells that covered the entire charm syllabus. She also wrote Herbology Encyclopedia and the volume of Witch Owls. Uh, so, born in eight, 1921 in Great Britain, she was the last of nine daughters born to the Goshock family. She was born to a really poor family, as described, who would openly describe wearing her hand-me-down robes, and she would call it embarrassing. So, extremely poor family. Um, she attended Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry from 1932 to 1939. Uh, she found complicated instructions and abstruse concepts in her old-fashioned textbook and found them difficult to understand, which is why she actually wrote the Standard Book of Spells for low-level grades, 1 through 7, because she even had problems understanding how to do incantations growing up. So the whole idea was it was to make it so for basic beginners so basic beginners could actually understand these things and graduate from Hogwarts school. Um, so when she tried to learn magic, her sisters actually would deliberately 
give her the wrong incantation for every spell she attempted. As the youngest child in the large family, she also often found it difficult to make an honest uh, living and sometimes resorted to using the bat bogey hex on her sister when she was being bullied by her that she invented herself. Uh, she rendered it to whoever she wanted to give a piece of her mind after she sat silent long enough and didn't speak. She used it on her sister Didema to get her sister Ramita to keep her out of the room uh, when she actually wanted to be left alone and also on her sister Tagwistil uh, when she wanted to keep her so quiet so she could finish her homework is what it says. Uh, her adult life, uh, so it says she was often self-admitted this uh, to have struggled in the school of Hogwarts. Uh, she realized that she needed help um, when she was young and that she didn't get the help she wanted. So she wanted to be able to help other students, which is why she was inspired to really write these books. In the response, uh, she actually made a living by writing the school, all the, most of the school textbooks that are at the Hogwarts school, which are witchcraft and wizardry. Um, also, while striving to make writings both scientifically uh, theoretical, but also plain enough to understand without too much difficulty, so younger level students could actually understand her books. This allowed every student in possession of knowledge about basic and not so basic witchcraft to be able to master the books, standard books of spells 1 through 7. Her first book was Book of Spells was a success. It was not only translated into 72 languages, including Gobbledygook, which is the language of goblins, and Mermish, the language of mermaids, but it also became an, un it became an approved textbook in many other schools besides just the Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry for magic around the world. Goshok did not miss the opportunity to get back at her sisters for mischievous pranks. Uh, she also had special editions of their book spells uh, approved that actually uh, are, were just, a, they are said they were to just be editions that had misprints in them. But to get back at her sisters, uh, she would resell them, and those are the ones they would get were the books with misprints. Um, as a result, as a part of the series, uh, Comical Mishaps. Her sister, Romilda, was left with one of the books with the misprints, and uh, she also casted a spell on Romilda and gave her a tail, almost very similar to Hagrid, so that's really funny. Um, it says her sister, ironically, was negatively affected by it for almost like the bullying, which is very interesting how things come full circle there. So don't do unto others or they'll do unto you. So that's kind of the story there, but, you know, yeah, that's something I don't support. But, you know, two ladies, uh, you know, I grew up with a brother, so I understand. <laughs> we were back and forth at each other every now and then growing up. But Goshawks notes that the tail eventually vanished from her sister, and they became friends again <laughs> for the rest of their life. So, see, there you go. Goes around, comes around, bite it out, and just sisters, you know, brothers, sisters, doesn't matter. Good to go. You'll work it out. But Koshak's decision to include jinxes in the school textbook of Book of Spells was controversial because she got that, that idea after that when she casted that spell upon her sister. Uh, she later defended it by stating that she believed including mildly offensive spells in the book would deter students from seeking out more dangerous spells 
which to settle their own disputes. After this, Goshok wound up planning the standard Book of Spells series. So she only had one out by this time. Keep in mind, she wasn't pursued for doing magic at a young age because she was an adult. She was out of Hogwarts by the time the first spell book was written. Then she decided to make it an entire Book of Spells series and distribute it not just to Hogwarts, to the rest of the world, and then Hogwarts, especially Professor Flitwick later on, you know, all his students are required to read this. It says a collection of charms books was eventually made out of this, which became the standard Book of Spells, books one through seven. Badman regularly requested by Hogwarts uh, charms master, Professor Flitwick. This is regarded as the best and most knowledgeable charms master alive in the world today. Miranda Goshock was immortalized uh, for these books, so they love her at Hogwarts for this and all over the world. Uh, she is still featured on the Chocolate Frog card. Her magical abilities include charms mastery, herbology, um, care for magical creatures, nonverbal magic, transfiguration, um, spell creature, uh, spell creation, because of course she wrote the Bat Bogey Hex uh, and the Dark Arts, which um, the Goshawks Guide to Herbology. She actually wrote that and wrote the one of the herbology texts that Madame Pomfrey still uses to this day, which is really cool. The Dark Arts uh, published published works. Uh, they have the Standard Book of Spells, Grade One through Seven, uh, and also she wrote Goshawks. Guide to Herbology, and Witch Owl Volume 3. So what that is is that, what that does is that just kind of breaks down for students which owl they should decide to get before the beginning of the year and what one suits them best and what different types of owls are best for each type of student, which is pretty cool, very interesting. Um, from here, so remember at, towards the end of the book, as we're starting to kind of close out this episode for you, so as we got towards the end of the book, remember Harry was really grieving Sirius at this moment. And it was the first time you really saw um, someone really grieve one of our heroes in this book and really deeply affect Harry. Um, and he goes to Nearly Headless Nick that we talked about in the last episode. You know, he says, he's basically talking about him like, can Sirius come back as a ghost? Um, and remember he told him like, he's not gonna come back. So, I mean, just to tell you about this real quick, it's leaving a piece of yourself behind uh, so that you can walk and talk um, and you're really clinging on to something. So you're actually bewitching to stay here, but it's really just an imprint. It's not really your soul. You're just really imprinting your thoughts. It's like a portrait that kind of walks around. It resembles you. It talks like you. It has all your memories. So the question is, is it is you? It's not. It's really not. It's not you. It's not that person. But all the reactions and everything it does is that person, almost like a robot that you programmed. If you programmed a robot to be exactly like you, that's exactly what it is. So that's why Sirius couldn't come back because he actually did move on to the other side. And these ghosts are just bewitched. So they're not actually people is the catch, right? People actually, dis actually study this in the Department of Mysteries and it's known as the spirit division is what it's called uh, the spirit division studies ghosts um, it's mainly studied uh, whether a ghost is classified as a being or not and how it became uh, newt's commander stated ghosts object to the prejudice against the living impaired uh, 
because it's implicit beings they actually are considered themselves as has beings so they're not actual people remember they're just imprints of beings that they made and that's exactly what nearly headless nick was saying to him he said he's not going to come back here because he's not he's already moved on to the other side basically nearly headless nick he was saying how he was afraid to move on to the other realm so he bewitched himself before he died so that a piece of him would stay here so he's not really there just his thoughts and memories and everything are actually with this ghost but he never made it to the other side because of it but he can never really live to his full potential or anything because it's just his thoughts walking and talking around it's not actually him it's almost like vision and like wandavision right when they made that clone it's not really him it's not the vision that was there they just have all their thoughts and feelings so you can argue maybe it sort of is but it's really not the same because they can't embrace the whole appreciation for all those thoughts and where they come from they just have it so it's just like a robot walking and talking around almost newt's commander actually stated go subject the prejudice against the living impaired implicit in their beings so just what i said before just to reread you that they consider themselves has beings so they were handled by the spirit division um, they mostly deal with problems involving spirits. They handled the famous case of ghost Myrtle Warren, which you know I'm going to go ahead and tell you is Moaning Myrtle. Olive Hornby, here's the story behind it. So Olive Hornby had class with Moaning Myrtle. Um, she constantly complained she was being persistently haunted by the ghost of former classmate Myrtle Warren. This resulted in the spirit division forcibly relocating Myrtle Warren, also known as Moaning Myrtle, to the place of her ultimate demise, so the girl's bathroom. Olive Hornby lived from 1926 to 1932. When Myrtle was alive, she would constantly tease her about glasses. Uh, remember, she was in the Harry Potter and Chamber of Secrets film. She just said, and they were always laughing at my glasses, because it's true. It says, Olive Hornby lived from 1926 to 1932 when Myrtle was alive. She would constantly tease her about her glasses. After Myrtle's death, she clung on to the embarrassment and the anger towards Hornby and haunted her consistently. Myrtle was very out of control and even reported to haunt her own brothers at this point because she was so clinging on to something after she died, which we know how she died. Remember, she got hit by the basilisk and really never got to live out to her full potential. So she actually clinged on, clinged on to something. Is it really Myrtle? No, it's not Myrtle. It's actually what it is. It's just a bewitched enchantment that has all Myrtle's thoughts in her mind, but she's not really there. It's not really a piece of her. Um, it's just her mind and her thoughts walking around. So uh, it says Myrtle was very out of control and even reported to haunt her own brother's wedding. Uh, Olive Hornby told the Ministry of Magic because of this, and they forcibly moved her to the girl's bathroom, I was saying. Um, and she still resides there today, and like I said, she is now known as Moaning Myrtle. All of these things are known about Olive Hornby's death as she was dead before the Triwizard Tournament in 1994 and 1995. And I'm going to read you that part. Harry opened the door of the nearest classroom and nearly headless Nick sighed. Oh, very well, he said, looking resigned. I can't pretend I haven't been expecting it. Harry was holding the door open for him, but he drifted through the wall instead. 
Expecting what? Harry asked as he closed the door. You to come find me, said Nick, now gliding to the window and looking out at the darkening grounds. It happens sometimes when somebody has suffered a loss. Well, said Harry, refusing to be deflected. You're right. I've, I've come to find you. Nick said nothing. It's said Harry, who was finding this more awkward than he had anticipated. It's just you're, you're dead, but you're still here, aren't you? Nick sighed and continued to gaze out at the grounds. That's right, isn't it? Harry urged him. You died, but I'm talking to you. You can walk around Hogwarts and everything, can't you? Yes, said nearly headless Nick quietly. I walk and talk, yes. So you came back, didn't you? Said Harry urgently. People can come back, right? As ghosts? They don't have to disappear completely. Well, he added impatiently, when Nick continued to say nothing. Nearly headless Nick hesitated and then said, Not everyone can come back as a ghost. What do you mean? said Harry quickly. Only, only wizards. Oh, said Harry. And he almost laughed with a relief. Well, that's okay then. The person I'm asking about is a wizard. So he can come back, right? Nick turned away from the window and he looked mournfully at Harry. He won't come back. Who? Sirius Black, said Nick. But you did, said Harry angrily. You came back. You're dead. You didn't disappear. Wizards can leave an imprint of themselves upon the earth to walk palely where their living selves once trod, said Nick miserably. But very few wizards choose this path. Why not, said Harry. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Sirius won't care if it's unusual. He'll come back. I know he will. And so strong was his belief that Harry actually turned his head to check the door, sure for a split second that he was going to see Sirius. Pearly white and transparent but beaming, walking through it toward him, he will not come back, repeated Nick quietly. He will have gone on. What do you mean, gone on, said Harry quickly. Gone on where? Listen, what happens when you die anyways? Where do you go? Why doesn't everyone come back? Why isn't this place full of ghosts? Why? I cannot answer, said Nick. You're dead, aren't you? Said Harry exasperatedly. How can answer better than you i was afraid of death said nick i chose to remain behind i sometimes wonder whether i oughtn't to have well that is neither here nor here nor here nor there in fact i am neither here nor there he gave a small sad chuckle i know nothing of the secrets of death harry for i chose my feeble imitation of life instead i believe lean wizards learned wizards study the matter in the department of mysteries don't talk to me about that place said Harry fiercely. So guys, that shows you that ghosts really aren't people. Um, what they are is they're just a bewitchment of a, a person that used to be there, basically a portrait. It's basically a portrait with more abilities because they're just a bewitchment enchantment of a person that can walk and talk that does have feelings, but uh, they don't really embrace the whole entirety of who that person was, so they're really not that person. It's just almost like a robot, uh, and it doesn't have a soul either, so it's not even like a brand new person. But guys, so with that, that was um, you know really breaking down uh, the big uh, concepts of the places they went in the Department of Mysteries 
and really gave you a deep dive into what they really did there and all the theories of the problems they have and kind of hopefully that will solve some answers you had regarding time turners um, incantations and what was studied in each of the chambers as far as what happened uh, with Sirius and uh, why he couldn't come back for you right so next week uh, we're going to be doing on Sunday the differences episode for Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix that's coming out this Sunday um, we'll be breaking down a lot of the differences between the movie and film and a lot of the things we think they should have done better some things they did do good for you uh, next week, there is no interesting facts episode, guys, so there's not one on Wednesday because we're not breaking down the books at that point. So just our regular Sunday episode next Wednesday, but then, man, we are kicking it back up. Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, which we know that's that's a, that's a an awesome book. Like The detail in that book um, is just absolutely phenomenal. It does look shorter, guys. Uh, don't get me wrong. Like I, I know you, what y'all are thinking. It's a shorter book. Well... Yeah, but it's also a very deep read, too. Kind of like the Silmarillion in Lord of the Rings, right? But yeah, it's a little bit smaller than Fellowship of the Ring, but I would definitely choose Fellowship of the Ring any day over the Silmarillion. And then we're going to be doing Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince Interesting Facts after uh, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince premieres. So the way that this will work is next week, this coming Sunday, you will have uh, Harry Potter... Uh, differences episodes for Order of the Phoenix, the highlighted key differences. Then the next week, uh, that Sunday, because uh, we won't have an interesting facts episode then, but then that Sunday, we're going to be doing Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, chapters one through six, and then we're going to have Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, the interesting facts for chapters one through six the week after that. So I won't be seeing you next week, but I will be seeing you guys the week after that on Wednesday. Uh, you guys, uh, once again, you are the shields that guard the realms of fantasy. And that's why we're here, because we love you guys. And it's all because of you. Follow us on Instagram. You can follow us there at Official Ridiculous Patronus. You'll see kind of all my new comic book posts that got graded. Leave us a comment there. You can always reach out to us and message us if you want. Um, you can follow me at rbrow129. You can always feel free to message me if you want. Jay Nelly, you can uh, follow him if you want. Go to our Facebook page, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. Follow us there. Write us a review, guys. It really does mean a lot. All the feedback on Apple Podcasts. So just go to your Apple Podcast app at home and write a review. Or, uh, of course, you can follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio. Really, any of those out there. Uh, can't thank enough for that. It really does mean the world to us. You can find us on YouTube. We actually um, are going to be doing a YouTube Live uh, in a couple of weeks, so that'll be pretty cool. But, guys, uh, once again, can't thank you enough for all you do for us. You have made it. You guys are the diehards that made it through the biggest book in the Harry Potter franchise. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, really diving deep into it, guys. Hey, this Harry Potter train is still rolling. It's like Jay Nelly said himself, this is where we separate the children from the adults because now you're into the big leagues. And um, we got two major ones coming at you, and we're still climbing. That's where we're going to see you guys. Uh, we are on our way right here all the way up to the top of the astronomy tower. But with that, guys, I got to say I will see you in two weeks. 
and I will see you on Sunday for our Differences episode for Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. This is Chase from Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. You are the shields that guard the realm of fantasy. This is a ridiculous production from Interesting Facts with Chase. Signing off. Thank you.